I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. Con Air. supposed to be a routine transfer. The most violent criminals society's ever produced are being flown to the toughest maximum security prison ever built. Nathan Jones, a.k.a. Diamond Dog, life sentence, murder. Garden Green, a.k.a. the Marietta Mangler, seven life sentences. Cyrus Grissom, a.k.a. Cyrus the Virus, Life sentence for murder, robbery, kidnapping, extortion. And Cameron Poe, paroled, heading home to his family. Unfortunately, he just got on the wrong plane. From Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of Crimson Tide and the Rock, Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich. This spring... The Rage Cage season continues with film two of his 1990s action hero journey. This time he's kind of an easygoing John McClane by way of Chuck Norris from Alabama stuck on the worst organized prison transport imaginable. This is every super dangerous criminal in America all on the same plane for seemingly no reason other than to save on bus fuel to taunt God and dare him to make something happen or to make the George's marvelous medicine of crime. With us once again, we have a trio of hosts from the Franchise Killer podcast. So we're looking forward to my tires and Yahtzee with David Schmitzer. Hey, hey. David's even better half, Irina Schmitzer. <laughs> hey there. And Irina's brother, Reese Payne. Yeah, I'm a regular. A regular, regular hound dog. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so quotable, this, this, this movie. So, The Rock was a fixture of summer 1996, and one year later, somehow we got not one, but two Nick Cage action films within weeks of each other. Con Air on June the 6th, and Face Off, which we are covering next week, on June 27th. That's 21 days apart. Like, th this was... This was like, you could go see them like in a double bill in some theatres, one assumes. Like, this was like Rock'em Sock'em Robots of, of Cage. Now... <laughs> This film was by first-time director Simon West, who was trying his level best to be like his senpai, Michael Bay, uh, in terms of framing, atmosphere, colour schemes, editing, and musical arrangement. And much like The Rock, this was a Jerry Bruckheimer production. It kind of feels, because Mark Mancina is on the score and so is Trevor Rabin, it feels like a, a lot like Bad Boys at times and a lot like uh, Armageddon at times as well. Yeah, it's got that bright orange hue to it that all those yeah. Bruckheimer the 90s do, too. That just the, the incredibly blue sky and the white desert that just kind <laughs> of, yeah. We were saying earlier as well, it, it does feel like it's got a bit of Tony Scott in there, but that's kind of filtered through the Bay of yeah. Bruckheimer, isn't it? Bay was always doing Scott, and now West is doing Bay. Mm. 
I think West went on to do one of the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raiders, The General's Daughter. Um, yeah, I think he's doing TV right now. I, I would assume he probably did music videos before this, same as his senpai Michael Bay. I think he's in a Pizza Hut right now. <laughs> Let's not, Let's go, not there. go there. Um, <laughs> so, however, this was written by the not-too-bad-at-all Scott Rosenberg, who penned Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, Beautiful Girls, High Fidelity, adapted from the book by Nick Hornby, Gone in 60 Seconds, so that's, uh, he worked again with John Cusack again and Nick Cage again, uh, Kangaroo Jack, mm. not seen. Kangaroo yeah. Jack. And recently he wrote Venom, although he's not writing the new one, the new one, directed by Andy Serkis, I've noted, and written by a lady. Uh, but yeah, uh, he did the original Venom and the two new Jumanji films with The Rock. So, you know, apparently One Punch Man's on the way from him as well. He kind of made a, like, he, he, he kept it together. And this is, one of the strengths of this film is definitely its punchy script. So, I mean, it's not, it's not clever, but it just kind of, it has enough wit to keep you going. And it's, it's, it's quotable on, like, a predator level. Like, it's, it, it has that in common with Predator. It also has that musical montage at the end where everyone gives the thumbs up, <laughs> um, which Predator has as well. And we're going to go scene by scene and moment by moment and talk about how this thing goes about its business. And uh, obviously, if you folks have, like, worked, found out stuff about its production, we did not look at the extras because, uh, like, the, the film itself was more interesting to us than how it was made. Oh, yeah. uh, but if you've got stuff, then obviously say it as soon as it's, it comes up as a, a sort of a, a viable moment. Um, but it starts with an army ranger named Cameron Poe coming back from the Gulf War and being treated like absolute shit by the very worst man in the film. And it's a film all about violent prisoners. <laughs> Yeah, and why do they hate veterans? I don't. Like, I, you're American, so you can tell us if this happens very often. It does, uh, I not feel to like my it's knowledge. The opposite of that normally. <laughs> I was going to say I I, them. the 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 whole beginning setup of this to me feels like uh, there there is a lot of visual shorthand going on to show how much of a hero Cameron Poe is. Right, the right. the whole this guy is a ranger. He's been uh, excused with honors. Everybody loves him. He's really really fucking awesome, um, uh, which I think feels a bit like a almost a, this is how we demonstrate that he absolutely shouldn't be in prison. This guy deserves everything that's coming to him, and um, uh, yeah, it, it it kind of feels like it's all done so that they can very quickly convey the fact that Cameron's going to jail, but it's not his fault. Yeah, like he's the goodest guy you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, and as far as I can tell from from what I understand of how veterans... Veterans are treated like shit by the government. Yeah? Right. Um, and as in, like, they're, they're left pissing in the wind. They are they are left right. alone. Right. Like, John Rambo in the, in the First Bloods are really excellent portrayal, like heart-wrenching, of, of someone who's just been left. Mm. There seem to be attempts every now and again to improve things a little bit, but the, the bottom line is things are so bad that there's a long way mm. to go before things are good. But as far as I can tell, the American people are all really, really pro-veteran. So, like, if you're a soldier, it's like, you know, thank you for your service and, like, like mini salutes and stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I, I hope that that's right, because, frankly, if you've been in a fucking war, you deserve to be treated with respect. Mm. But this is his mention of 
Vietnam is really weird for the time frame, but his yeah. attitude does seem more like what got thrown at the uh, soldiers ah. coming back from Vietnam. When they came back from Vietnam, hippies in particular were riled up by the atrocities that occurred in Vietnam, and they blamed the troops directly. Mm. So mm. they were called baby killers. And that, again, that was that was part of what messed John Rambo up, coming back and being hated in his own country. But in the Gulf War, that wasn't the case, as mm. far as I can tell. I, I, it's, I don't that guy's deeply rooted issues. I feel like his dad may have been in Vietnam or something. And, mm. and all those, those damn hippies ruining this war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's 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 weird that his his take on this is that uh, uh, Cameron is uh, the p word referring to a woman's genitalia uh, and and just that that American soldiers are wimps somehow. I, I'm just going to say this straight off the bat before we get into this: um, the question of motivation throughout this film is muddled. <laughs> They like they're very she said, hand wavy. It as kindly as she possibly could. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, the the consistency and the reasons why people do certain things and then three scenes later do certain other things is is non-existent. Mm. Why he goes to jail in the first place is what confuses me the most. That oh, good lord, Except yes. Ten years because he's. He is military? Like because he's, he's a, a human weapon? Or yeah. That's like, baffling. He's, he's not John Claude Van Damme. Yeah, he's like. not Bruce Lee. I mean, this whole thing I think stems from the fact that like when you're a martial artist, or at least you're learning martial arts, you do have to kind of like sign contracts and things that say, I will not go out and use this shit willy-nilly. But part of the point of that is that you don't the, the the part of the training and part of the training roundhouse for, kicks on every corner. No, well, part you get of Miami connections be, that way. Part of the training to be in the military in the first place is is here. We're going to teach you how to do X Y Z, and you never ever use it unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, but the like if it's trying to kill you. Yeah, it's it's the framing of the trial that struck me as just being completely and utterly bizarre. The idea that a uh, a judge or a, a lawyer or whoever it is who actually says it would outright say you are not subject to the same laws as everyone else that that literally undercuts the entire purpose of the rule of law. Isn't that the opposite of A Few Good Men, where Jessup is definitely subject it, to right. laws? Okay, if Cameron was still in the military, yeah. then the laws are slightly different. Yes, he'd be in a court-martial, not right. in a public trial for that reason. If he but was out on, like, uh, uh, R&R and exactly. killed somebody in a but bar while enlisted. Yeah. He has now left the Rangers. He is excused from military service. Mm. He is being tried in a civilian court. Therefore, he should be subject to exactly the same laws and sentencing yeah, guidelines yeah. as everyone else. That's the point. I think Scott Rosenberg saw Shawshank Redemption a lot before doing this as well, or at least once <laughs> with the sound went, off. Hmm, how did they sentence people in the 40s? Let's do that. Because if you remember, the guy pulls a, uh, a switchblade on him, and then after Cameron snaps his nose bone into his brain, the switchblade gets taken in the his rain. Mate it's takes like, you know, knife, and yeah. uh, we couldn't find the knife, Mr. Poe, and don't you find that convenient? Mm. Considering yeah. I killed him because he drew a knife on me, I find it distinctly inconvenient. Mm. I, it did intrigue me, actually, that after he's killed the guy, he goes into this sort of almost... It's not a, It's not like a, a tra uh, traumatised state exactly, but he just stands completely still and calls for Trisha. Yeah, he's wailing. He's like, I really didn't want that to happen. 
<laughs> Before this happens, by the way. Accent? Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to go for it, yeah. I'm pretty sure, oh, we're from Texas. I'm pretty sure that is not an Alabama accent. Yeah. <laughs> right? Have right you folks there. seen Raising Arizona? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I oh, think yeah. it's the same accent he uses in that. This call is, me hi. Yeah, this is this is what we call a Nicolas Cage accent. It's fairly oh, uh, unique. Sort of waving the hand towards the <laughs> south. It's from there. I think that's almost kind of how I would describe the beginning of this film is waving its hand at the south where they <laughs> <laughs> believe that they've been there. They're just kind of like, "Oh, you know, they What southern they, people do? This is what they love doing and we're just going to kind of throw in some slang here and there and you get the gist of this guy. Play he's, some Shania Twain, maybe. He's <laughs> such a he. He's homegrown, you know, grass fed, not grass fed, corn fed, <laughs> maybe whatever. He's corn fed, corn fed, <laughs> like a hen. And, you know, now now you want to rally behind him and look at this injustice. Yeah. He is just you know put upon, and now we can invest in some fun. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 we keep saying hand wavy because that's like the perfect word for it. But this is kind of like what. I was reminded of the Fast and the Furious uh, watching this, where mm-hmm. it's just what that series has become, where it's just like, it does not have to make sense. As long <laughs> as we can get the family together, uh, like or get to this emotional, this quote-unquote emotional moment or this big action sequence. Uh, Culminates. Like, I was, it was surprising how much the Fast and the Furious has turned into Con Air. Yeah. Uh, Never thought about it uh, in way, the but... middle of the whole thing in in Fast Four. Uh, Dom goes, "Okay, I will give myself up and I'll serve the time that I'm supposed to." Like he does the good thing, and the judge is like, mm, "I'm going to give you 100 years for for stealing <laughs> DVD players in the year 2000." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's like 100 years. I'll never do that. And then they're like, "Well, we're going to bust you out with cars." Luckily, they took the con bus. If they'd been in the air, they'd they have to jump all the way to uh, to Fast and Furious 7 to get the cars out of the yeah. air to hit the plane. Absolutely. And Jason uh, Statham would have to help. And funnily enough, uh, F9, it's, it's been spoiled, I think, but just in case, spoilers. Uh, well, I've seen it, so you don't, you're not spoiling it for me. And I think I, I, I've, I've said to Sharon that there's, there's not much in it that makes you go, Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well, they do go to space in yes, that yeah, movie, yeah. and the sequel that Simon West was teasing for this would have been something outrageous like going to space, which mm. I would, I would definitely sign up for. <laughs> this movie came out within weeks as well of a Speed Two Cruise Control, um, which is that movie that Keanu Reeves read the script and went, "Oh heavens, no!" <laughs> and, but Jason Patrick went, "Oh yeah, I'll totally be that guy." His name is sure. Alex Shaw. Um, <laughs> seriously, that's his actual name in Speed oh, Two. Uh, oh, that's surprising! I, that. I have not seen Cruise Control. So it's that's it's not good. <laughs> but uh, they they take <laughs> it off the incredibly fast moving bus and put it on an extremely slow moving boat, which mm-hmm. is like in the nineties. It was very high octane, like elevator pitch. Okay, speed, but in a boat with Under Siege Two colon dark territory. Speed, but on a train. And yeah. in this case, it's speed, but on an airplane. And, and rather than the airplane's going to explode, there's a possibility the airplane won't explode and it'll land somewhere and lots of convicts will get out. How do I get through one night without you? If I had to live without you, what kind of life would that be? Bird. It's you. 
I'd take a beat in half my life to get a piece of that woman. How's my baby? She's doing fine. You kidding me? <laughs> what? Sweetie, bitch. Can't you see I'm in the middle of something here? You, you gonna be in Miss Alabama? Well, that makes your daddy very proud. Trisha Poe! <laughs> you little lane to you. Hey, how about joining me and the boys for a cold one, huh, darling? No, thanks. Captain Huckleberry here. You know this gentleman, Hunter? He's a regular. Yeah, I'm a regular. <laughs> regular hound dog. <laughs> this is a special occasion. If you don't mind, I'd like to spend a dance with my wife. Tell you what, soldier dick. Why don't you go buy me and my buddies around? Hey, Cameron, no. It ain't worth it. Hey. Come on, Daddy, let's dance. <laughs> Because of pussies like you, we lost Vietnam, I'll tell you that. You don't need trouble. Oh, you should be so proud. You know, for a second there, you were that guy again. I know. Well, I was hoping maybe the army would make that guy grow up. And uh, uh, Cam was like, would you mind? I'm dancing with my wife. He's like, yeah, fucking yeah, beer, beer. He's like, I'm the worst person you could possibly imagine. He also, he outs himself as a complete idiot at that point. Oh, if yeah. you want to hit on a woman, you wait until her date goes to the bathroom. You don't do it right in front of him when Whoa. he's wearing a uniform. I didn't realise you were a veteran of hitting on ladies. Uh, no, I'm a veteran of being hit on. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, so, but she's uh, like, uh, uh, Cage is like, sort of, and then she's like, hey, come back. You, for a moment there, you were that guy again. And what did you note about this particular Well, it just, it, I mean, it, uh, it hints at something that, as you rightly pointed out, goes nowhere, really. Mm. But it does kind of allude to the fact that Cameron at one point was less of a good dude than he is now that being in the Rangers has changed him, that he has... Um, a dark side he's, that comes out. Yeah, um, but it, it, again, it kind of con contradicts with something that John Cusack says later on, mm. which is he did a bit of hell-raising in his youth, but nothing particularly serious. Mm. But I quite liked the hint that he's a good guy because he chooses to be. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's possible that before the Rangers, Cameron was fairly easy to get into fights. Like, he'd just be like, no, I'm getting out of here. And they'd say, what's wrong, Poe? Chicken? And then he'd turn around and go, nobody calls me chicken. And then because he's corn-fed, he would just spin-kick them into the next week. Oh, my God. But it's also possible that that is then why he accepts his sentence quite so readily. Because yeah. he feels like, okay, I did slip back into being the bad guy. I shouldn't have done that. That was my fault. However, hand wavy as it is, you don't need to do much work to convince me that the US justice system is fucked and seems right. to okay. want to guzzle people up into its prison system for uh, prisoners with jobs, do we call them? But the arena's mainframe for the obedience discs have been deactivated and the slaves have armed themselves. I, I don't like that word. Which mainframe? No. Why would I not like mainframe? No, the. Uh, yes, word. Yes, word. Sorry, the prisoners with jobs have armed themselves. 
Okay, that's better. That's better. Yeah, for its enforced slave labor. Um, so while he's in prison, there's an actually a, there's a, a, a scene in the extended cut, uh, which we have on DVD, uh, which uh, we didn't watch this time because uh, we bought the Blu-ray specially. And it looks really good on Blu-ray, by the way. This is back when they were yeah, still shooting it. things on film. And um, the extended section is like, why isn't that in the film? It's like a, a half minute of the, the prison is on fire and I think Cameron collapses trying to save a bed or something. And Baby O pulls him out of his burning chicken coop or something. But either way, Baby O definitely saves him. This is Michael my, my T. Williams uh, from Forrest Gump. Eff- effectively going, you know, this time I get to save Forrest Gump. And um, like that seals why Cameron, like, as opposed to just spending a lot of room time together, why Cameron really feels he owes Baby O and, and why yeah. he does what he does for the whole film. Yeah, Runs through fire to bring yeah. the insulin to him. Like, Absolutely. I mean, when Baby O has a crisis of faith, Cameron pledges to prove to him that God exists. That's how important That's Baby O is. And he proves it with <laughs> like, spin kicks. Philosophers have been trying to do that for thousands of years but without he, success. But, but now Nicolas Cage is going to do it. But he succeeds, which I think <laughs> means God definitely exists. Okay. So. Um, I do think that there is, again, the whole thing of the motivation being very muddled. There is a bit of a thread throughout this montage of Cameron doing his time. And it's mainly framed around his correspondence with Casey. Intercut with lots of like chin ups and and uh, upside down push ups. But this is. While he builds a prison bod to die for. What they seem to be. Sharing snowballs with his. they, he sure does love them. Yeah. Um, but what he seems to be, what this seems to be trying to show is that Cameron, unlike all of those lazy, useless prisoners who were the bad guys, he just Cameron sort of turns is, a blind eye during a riot. He's like, this riot ain't nothing to do with me. Exactly. And he is making good use of his time. He is working out, he is learning things. And Baby O works in the library and keeps mm. bringing him books to read. And he's teaching himself Spanish. And there's. You Which know, comes in useful because uh, he, he works out what Sindino's planning indeed but yeah so so he's also learning spin kicks all this stuff that he does keeps him sane throughout his sentence and baby always kind of instrumental in that so i think they they do build up the rapport between them but yeah i think having that scene in the right would have been i mean i watched conair in the the cinema it was a 15 uh in in theaters and an 18 on on video when it finally came out uh because the bbfc were like whoa like Craig, who who gave it a fifteen, what were you smoking that day? This is really intense. And you uh, got something to us where there there wasn't a fifteen before because we we got the PG thirteen mm. in the eighties. Yeah, no, was- uh, we covered this in our. Um, Temple of Doom show. Basically, Spielberg oh. brought the PG-13 into into being by ripping out people's hearts in a kid's film. In a 15, you can have, like, bloody violence and, uh, like, Billy Bedlam getting pierced on that pipe later on and stuff. But it's things like Diamond Dog shoving those, um, like, handcuffs into that guy's yeah. neck. <laughs> And just so, like what if if the at least in the nineties if the blood starts actually like squirting that go goes more towards an eighteen if it looks like extended um, trauma, but um, but yeah I was I was watching it at the age of uh, ninety seven I'd have been like sixteen at that point uh, thinking. You know, I completely understand why he's trying to save Baby O. I wasn't like sitting there puzzled, going, "But why is he trying to save his friend?" 
But Wait. it wasn't until watching it today and really like checking it out that I was like, he's not really trying to stop the cons in Con Air. His number one priority is keep Baby O alive, maybe stay alive himself to meet his uh, family. He's not like, I am going to stop Cyrus the damn virus. Yeah, so you would think that that minute that they cut out mm. would kind of yeah, be essential it. to the motivation, like you're saying, but... No, yeah. apparently. Well, they, they put it in the TV version. But uh, yeah, like I said, I could probably have done with a bit, like just that extra and a bit less of the, the cons saying really creepy things. And I think just like Garland Green and the little girl in the swimming pool later, we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah. uh, I, I could have edited that whole bit out. We don't really need that. <laughs> anyway. There's this weird element to this movie where I feel like there's some kind of academic in the background somewhere kind mm -hmm. of spitting out these lines, semantics and philosophy, and then throwing in little references to things like Frankenstein and stuff. Mm. It's like, it's really weird seeing that in this movie because in all its trappings, it just feels like a cult favorite. But then you have these random lines like, here and there. Cyrus's line deliveries, they go on just a little too long. It's like, <laughs> oh, you had a clever thing to say there, and then, no, you're, you're still talking. Part <laughs> <laughs> <Mark on. laughs> You're like the substance at the corner of someone's mouth. <laughs> what is, what oh, does yeah. that mean? You're the white substance at the corner of someone's mouth <laughs> when, when they're, they're thirsty. They're, they're thirsty. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> You're scum. It's That's what it's what he thinks of uh, multiple rapists. We'll get to uh, Danny Trejo later, but uh, oh, sorry. Now you know what? We'll get to Johnny Twenty Three later. I'm not. I don't want to cast aspersions to the great actor Danny Trejo. Um, oh, did anyone notice, by the way, that while he's in prison, and I hate even referencing uh, her stuff, but Cameron has the monster book of monsters while he's uh, studying. It's this giant, like, phone book-sized, weighty tome. I don't remember if it was bound with a leather belt or not, but I feel like it was. It's the one from Prisoner of Azkaban that tries to oh, eat Harry's foot, gosh. and it's just there. And really? it, it, because of the little page, like, holder things, it looks like it has teeth. It's a Bible, and it has, like, little um, <laughs> cutouts at the beginning of each chapter, ah, so that you can find... That's, that's where he keeps his little rock hammer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But yes, from the side, it does look like the Monster Book of Monsters. I do kind of like the philosophy of this movie is espoused in, in this one of the exchanges with um, Casey, where she's like, this boy, Scotty Dalton, has black teeth and calls me names. And he's like, you know, don't you never mind little Scotty Dalton. Sometimes you meet people like that. And it's <laughs> kind of like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes you meet people like the guy I met in the bar who was trying to rape your mother. And it's like, ugh. But, yeah, ultimately it's... It, For the love of God, Casey, do not kill Scotty Dalton. I do not want you in here with yeah, me. Yeah, don't... <laughs> Yeah. more that I won't meet him when I come out. <laughs> so what have you been saying to my daughter? <laughs> um, but yeah, also I noted that like Nick Cage is fun and watchable in this, but he's not crazy yet. Like we've just done The Rock and he was like very bolted down, got to say quite a lot of funny lines, but he's a completely different character, Stan Goodspeed, to this. And he's not like eye-rolling crazy Caster Troy in the next movie uh, or uh, the character who played in Vampire's Kiss. So he'd already done the, the crazy version of Nick Cage. And the fact that we've got so many colorful characters in the whole film kind of makes it that Poe being grounded is a good idea. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. It struck me on more than one occasion watching this that I don't think this was meant to be Nicolas Cage. I don't mm -hmm. think when they wrote this, they had Nick Cage in mind. 
I think he'd just been disappointed by not being able to play Superman. And he's like, I got this Superman bard, and I ain't using it. I gotta do something with it. But, well, maybe. I don't know, he doesn't actually talk like Cameron Powell. It just feels like there's a a level-headedness about Cameron that they could have put almost any Hmm. late 90s action hero in. Who else would you have put in there? Well, I kept thinking, you Kurt know, Russell? Van Damme would work in this role. Kurt really? Russell would it, work. I think it would have made the film Steve less Segal. special oh, it with, def- oh, with Van Damme. Absolutely, no, Kurt Russell maybe. It definitely would have made it less special, mm. but it felt like it could have been used as a vehicle for almost any standard action hero. Mm. Mm. I'm pretty sure the the Rock was a Jerry Bruckheimer production yeah. as well, it so was. he might have kind of like guiding Nicolas Cage into all of these. Yeah. Uh, I think this was a year after The Rock, and that was a kind of surprise hit. So maybe they're like, "Oh, people like Cage. Let's let's get him in here." Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Almost certainly, but maybe the uh, test audiences for The Rock very specifically said they found Stanley funny or something. But uh, yeah, it's I like the fact that it's completely different. Like the the Rage Cage season, it's three. Technically, it's four very different characters because mm-hmm. he plays two in Face Off. Like I said, he is John McClane. He's just the, a decent guy there at the wrong time. He's probably a bit closer to Jack in uh, um, speed than he is to McLean because McLean's thing is annoying his uh, antagonists and yeah. being an antagonist to them, whereas Poe just kind of plays it cool and friendly-like the whole way through until Burn it's time it. to do the spin kicks. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> loading up the plane that literally challenges God, uh, we've got Rachel Ticotten as uh, God Bishop. She's excellent all the time. Um, mm. We've got Colm Meany as Duncan Malloy. I mean, he's basically there just to give, just to add to extra tension because uh, John Cusack as Vince Larkin is, is the sensible head going, right, let's not do anything crazy. And then. Uh, Colm uh, Meany's like, no, let's do crazy shit. I'm really angry about this. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm watching this, and when we finally get to it, I'm like, there are times when I, like, even though Larkin is, like, the cooler head, I'm like, no, I disagree. And it's specifically, blow this fucking plane out of the air. Do it now. Why are you arguing this? It's got the fucking Marietta Manglo on board. <laughs> Ditch it. <laughs> I think in part, though, that's because the... Okay, one of the theses of this film... The theses of Connor. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take a sip here. Strapping. Right. Um, But that's none of my business. The theses of Connor. Okay. So they open with the quote from Dostoevsky. Did they? Yes. Are you sure that wasn't just in the teaser? Because I know that Larkin quotes it. Hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it was in the yeah. teaser then. It's is the it teaser. not in the opening no, of the episode? No, it's, it's not okay. the... Uh, the measure of a civilization can be judged by observing its okay. prisoners. That's how they phrase it in the teaser. That's not the actual quote, though. Uh-huh. Because yeah. that implies... The thesis of Conair is to almost get it. <laughs> look at how their prisoners behave and you will know what this civilization is. Yeah. But it's not. It's look at how they treat their prisoners. Yeah. It's it's um, by spending time in one of its prisons, I think. So that's the... the exact opposite. Basically, it's either look at how fucked up its prisoners are or look at how much we fuck up our prisoners. Exactly. 
And bearing in mind Dostoevsky uh, said this after having done a bit after of time. After having said a little time. For, uh, he was arrested for political reasons. But, the, I mean, the other um, measure... Which in Russia it, just means you're brainy. That's the thing, though. The <laughs> other measure of it is, what does this society criminalise? Mm. What do they consider to be against the law? And I do think that there is a... If you, if you pick at the surface, there is a wider thesis to this film, which is about looking at the differences between not good and bad... But control and chaos and law and not law. So following the rules or breaking them. Exactly. If you if you I I was actually trying to think and if anybody else wants to throw any ideas into the hat on this, because I, I couldn't come up with anything concrete, but I was curious as to whether you could use this film to teach the difference between ethics and morals, laws and regulations and rules and codes. It would be on hard mode. There's yeah. so many better films. Like, not better films, but, like, films that are less distracted from this point. Yeah, but the characters are so, like, they're so clear and stereotyped and, and kind of put into, into such straightforward shapes. The way I put it was, like, Mass Effect, you've got Paragon and Renegade. The only thing measured there being Paragons follow all the rules and Renegades don't. Yeah, exactly. But if you yeah. look at the difference between Larkin and Colmini's character... Malloy. Malloy. If you look at the difference between Larkin and Malloy, Larkin is very much, these are the rules and regulations. Yeah. And no one carries them. on these flights. Exactly, and we and follow Malloy's them. And Malloy's like, bullshit, I'm going to put a gun in there. That's not going to cause a problem. things go wrong. Malloy, on the other hand, purports to be a pretty moral person. Mm. However, he is quite willing to bend and break rules if he can. it means that he can shortcut his way to what he yeah. wants. Oh, yeah. On that note, this film is really conservative. Like, mm. just as it goes through, it's... We're about to talk about some prisoners who you could, you probably shouldn't put in a film these days. You might get them into a film with Gerard Butler. Mm. He still ha mm. makes films like this. Yeah. But ultimately, Cameron is a good guy in this film because he makes a mistake, but he did it for a good reason. And he admits and that he was he, wrong. Yeah, he pleads guilty and he serves his time. There is no he gets out early on a technicality or his court case gets thrown out or anything like that. We do actually see him get punished for the thing he did. So again, I, th I feel like this is less about he is uh, an, an upstanding good person just because and more, well, he had these, this set of rules and he followed it. His code of never leave a fallen man behind is what motivates him throughout the whole thing. He doesn't want to leave Baby O because that's what he was taught. Mm. You don't leave people behind. And there's a rotten fucking head guard called Falzon in it who is doing Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. Well, welcome aboard. My, my, as I look around, I see a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 current affairs, two hard copies, and a genuine Geraldo interviewee. But I gotta tell you, gentlemen, none of this impresses me. Because we have rules on this aircraft, and they're gonna be enforced. It's a lot like kindergarten. You'll keep your hands to yourself, you keep the decibel level down. And if any of you should feel the need to scream, spit, or bite, you get the treatment. Fuck you, pig. Gag and bag this Nazi muffin. <laughs> See, this kind of thing puts me in a foul mood. These rules will be enforced. There's a hint of trouble. If any of you so much as passes gas in my direction, it offends my delicate nasal passages. Your testicles will become my personal property. Oh, stewardess. What's the in-flight movie today? Well, I think you'll like it, Cyrus. It's called I'll Never Make Love to a Woman on the Beach Again. And it's preceded by the award-winning short, 
No more steak for me, ever. <laughs> Funny fucker, aren't you? There is something that it's. it feels like it's splicing a bunch of movies that they've seen as mm. reference and just kind of throwing it all together. Like, oh, this fits. This makes a cohesive story. But this is taken from this movie. This is taken from another movie. Mm. And so you end up with a list of characters that are vaguely familiar to you already. And you can kind of anticipate where everything will go by the end. Mm. Archetypes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's probably a, a good idea. It doesn't really um, throw your expectations back in your face and go, oh, you expected us to do this? Well, we didn't. I mean, the, the only thing that um, it, it seems to go ha-ha gotcha is uh, the way Garland Green behaves because it, it builds him up to be this terrifying figure and then he does nothing! Which is good, because frankly, most of the things he could have done would have been unthinkable and would have turned off blockbuster audiences. There's just a bunch of scenes in this movie that if they had taken it a little step farther, this could have been very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Uh, Like, the movie's casually racist throughout the entirety of it. Fucking yes. There's a whole bunch of just... There's just some... There's a lot of weird, muddy stuff here that they just barely managed to toe the line where it's like, okay, I can still have a good time. They knew when to kind of reel it back, but it's still questionable. (laughs) It gets uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah, their heart's kind of in the right place insofar as the most important person to Cameron who's not his, you know, blonde-haired wife and blonde-haired child is Baby-O. And the heart of the movie is with Cameron. But everyone else is making these fucking racist comments, and a lot of them are done for fun, and they're... There's no excuses made for them because it's it's like well, that that's some shit. Dave Chappelle in particular improvised most of his lines, which are horrendously anti-Native American. Mm, they have oh, yeah. one. I felt openly, guilty every time I grinned at any of them. They have one openly white supremacist character who gets killed very ah. quickly. And it almost feels like that happens so that they can go, see, we killed the Nazi, so everybody else is fine. Yeah, because otherwise, if you, if you have a Nazi spouting off, everything tastes of Nazi. <laughs> so unfortunately, what we do end up with, well, for a start, we got Nick Chinland as William Bedford, a.k.a. Billy Bedlam, the cold-blooded family annihilator. And it's really difficult to forget what he did. And it's like, ugh. And he's actually really frightening. He he reminded me of of Sabretooth from the X-Men, the way he's portrayed in the 90s, that kind of trying to get into your head and poke around in there, but he's not smart. He's just this cunning, invasive, clawing hand. But uh, again, his motives are very specific. Which, what? Just like go off the pole? His wife slept with another man. Yeah. That's what motivated him to apparently, the. I mean, it, it's counted as more than one crime because there was more than one person, but they were all part and parcel of the same eventuality. Did they include murdering his wife's dog on the, uh, the in the court case? Because I would definitely, if I was a judge, like, fucking killed the hound, you... <laughs> <laughs> We're so, add 20 years for that. Okay. <laughs> then we've got... Uh, Ving Rames as Nathan Jones, a.k.a. Diamond Dog, former general of the Black Guerrillas. <sighs> okay, yeah, that's, so... that's cool. That is analogous to the Black Panthers, very much on purpose. Bombed the NRA, an NRA meeting, and said that they represented the basest negativity of the white race. And he wrote a, uh, a book in prison, and apparently they were talking to Denzel for the, uh, for the movie, right? So they... Um, they have effectively villainized a uh, militant black leader and they don't 
do anything with him. If anything, they make him kind of... Yeehaw! It's on your mind, hillbilly. What was I thinking about? Oh, yeah, yeehaw, that's right. I was just wondering what a black militant, uh, that would be you, was doing taking orders from a white boy on a power trip. Don't you think that's strange? It's a means to an end, my white friend. A means to an end. See, eyes can play house nigga till we get to where we're going. And then, the day of the dog begins. It feels honestly like he'd get some people working with him and actually take over at some point in a yeah. kind of fuck all of you way. But this feeds into that, uh, the the... The casual racism almost feels like they don't really know they're doing some of it. The fact that you've got on the on the bad guys side, the uh, the two speaking character black guys are militant and quote unquote uppity. In mm. Chappelle's case, the good guy black guy is infantilized and and his name is Baby. Unable to do anything. He eats little pink cakes and he's unable to do stuff. Yeah. Jesus, yeah, this is not uh, empowering. Um, also, if you pause it during his uh, Nathan Jones's like little profile, the AKA is A slash K slash A. I don't yes, think that's how you do it. Need to do oh. <laughs> AKA Diamond Dog, the crime. This former general of the Black Guerrillas, um, and that's in uh, speech marks, is currently serving a life sentence, capital L, capital S, for murder and arson, capital A, only on arson, associated with the bombing of a National Rifle Association, two C's, meeting. Oh, and I've just realised what makes that even worse. What? They've okay for National Rifle Association. They have spelled A S O C C I A T I O N, but for Associated, they've spelled it correctly. They didn't have spell checker in those days, and they didn't expect people to look. This would have been the size. Professional administrators maintaining the Department of Justice's database. It would appear. It's fine. It's not though. It's not fine. Another incredibly dangerous uh, character they have on board in this is uh, a bunny that uh, Cameron is bringing back for his daughter Casey for her birthday. This bunny gets more people killed than Hitler. (laughs) Cyrus Grissom, a.k.a. Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich, who uh, brags that he killed more more men than cancer. A true product of the system. And I put in brackets, basically the Joker. Like, Joker's had a whole bunch of different uh, interpretations. The only thing that makes him less like the Joker is that he doesn't go on and on about him. Like, Cyrus has an ethos. He's just not going to share it with everyone, whereas the Joker is fairly keen to tell you. He also makes dark, dark, humorous jokes. The true product of the system line, again, is a really random... We're going to throw this in because it sounds like a a nifty sound bite, but it doesn't mean anything. Did you know that we live in a society, Sharon? (laughs) But that's... Because they don't discuss any of that. Right, if Cusack had... um, Larkin. If Larkin had come in... Just think of David Jason. Pop Larkin. (laughs) If Larkin had come in and started talking about the fact that... Uh, Cyrus had grown up in foster homes and was into juvie at a very young age and never had anybody particularly supportive never had a chance. or anything like that. Right. That is what product of the system mm. means. 
Yeah, it's like what what system? What are you talking about? Yeah. Like I don't I don't have any context. I don't think they were ever expecting us to think this hard. Yeah. Oh no, no, no they I weren't. <laughs> Cyrus and seems to be just like a narcissist who believes he's better than every. I'm better than you, absolutely. smarter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does seem like there are so many lines that are just kind of put in there for effect, but you aren't supposed to think about it. Mm. Kind I don't of like that. I that don't little think... that paper you were analyzing. There, there are yeah. typos. It's just a prop. Their lines are pretty much just a prop for the character. Absolutely. I don't think they're expecting anybody to remember most of the lines from scene yeah. to scene. Mm. There's a reason why all the characters are uh, visually pretty distinct. It's so that you don't have to hold in your head who is who. Mm. You'll know who they are when they turn up. But yeah, if this was a Purge film, Diamond Dog's your fucking hero. <laughs> Seriously, if you've seen the, the first Purge, you, like they yeah. basically they they make the uh, the gang leader, the uh, the head drug dealer, ends up being the guy who saves the day. So um, gets to near the end, and he takes out Cyrus and steals yeah. the plane. Um, they would have to spin uh, Nathan Jones completely, or like, would it not have been? Like, there are two other ways they could have done Con Air, even back then. And at least one way they could do it now. One would be just have Cyrus Grissom be a real fucking Nazi and a white supremacist and have him actually being opposed by uh, Nathan Jones and Cameron sort of caught in the middle. At the same time, I feel like anything... It would end up like Bioshock Infinite, where it's like, we'll see both sides are the same. See, these black people are racist against the white people. So that's the same. No, it's not! Balance. Yeah, no. Uh, but a, a better way of doing it would be basically, this is a Suicide Squad movie. Like, you put Harley on this plane, and then you get a bunch of criminals who don't want to kill lots of people, and then a bunch of criminals who do want to kill a bunch of people, and then you've got someone on the outside, like Waller, trying to convince the ones on the inside who don't want to kill a bunch of people, would you please do us a solid and kill the others for us? Like, that's a great, tense, bottle episode, uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, but what we got are... What essentially is the evil expendables? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, uh, yeah. This director actually uh, directed Expendables too, uh, so I was getting a lot of shades of that. Oh, let's unite this group, this distinctive group of baddies. Mm. And uh, but this is the other side of that coin. I'd forgotten uh, West did Expendables too, which I actually kind of enjoy Expendables too. I think it's the only good one of those three movies. I kind of enjoyed the third one, that I had, but then Terry Crews got taken out and put in a coma way too early, and it was like, we must avenge Terry Crews. I'm like, yeah. could he not come back? That would be so much better. And avenge himself. Yeah. yeah um, Terry, you, yeah. you cannot not utilize that man's energy in mm. a movie. If, if he's in your movie, he better be front and center. <laughs> it seems like a complete waste. Uh Okay, so uh, Dave Chappelle as Pinball. Again, I feel like like Chappelle's so funny moment to moment. I felt guilty at everything I, I, I laughed at. But um, he gets taken out way too early as well. Like he's uh, on, on, ends up like clinging to a, a wheel and freezing to death and turning into an unconvincing dummy. Like, one of my favorite moments. <laughs> Seeing Dave Chappelle just frozen there. No, it, like, it happened too early. But It happened too early, but the whole sequence for me was just in a weird way refreshing because I haven't seen some 
a person off in such an irreverent way like mm. that. You know, it's just like, oh, he's just he's trapped. No one in he action falls. movies ever died that way. I know. Oh, he was does. just the, they pulled out the landing gear and up oh, there he is. He, he becomes like, a, <laughs> a bigger plot device than you actually think he would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's on his, uh, he's basically a violent email. <laughs> <laughs> The imagery, for some reason, just hit my funny bone, and I couldn't stop. Again, this is not especially empowering to black people. Cameron writes on him and chucks him out of the play. (laughs) Well, then we see that couple driving, and we get this weird interaction with them and the poop on the... I think if there's any moment where I would make an argument to this movie being self-aware, it would be that. Like, this, Mm. this has to be on purpose something kind of ridiculous like they're not trying to be serious about this that was actually my main question throughout i've seen this movie multiple times now and i cannot figure out if it's completely self-aware not self-aware at all or something in between where it's each time I come away with a different take, like, oh, they had to know that this was ridiculous. Like, how this is going. Except for, no, half the time it's very serious. Nicolas Cage, I don't think he knows. I don't think Nicolas Cage knows. No. (laughs) It helps that Poe's playing it straight. There's a bunch of other actors who seem to be having a whale of a time. But, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, um, Cage can sometimes be really dedicated to his roles. And in this case, he's like, I believe I am this man. Mm. He he does (laughs) seem to come across with a remarkable lack of self awareness even in some of the most obviously weirdly bad roles that he does i mean in in the wicker man you would expect there to be a glimmer of i know what's what's how to get why this is bad how to get burned how to get burned I, how to get burned how to get burned i don't know see I, I know that he's not self like he's not self-conscious in this because he knows how fucking great he looks in every yeah. shot he's just like <laughs> grinning away looking more handsome than he ever looked in any other film with his like flowing hair extensions he's like i'm never gonna have hair like this again it's like a so lion's mane with these like like I only noticed so today. Many lions with mullets, do you know? It's like a lion's mullet, um, and he's got little grey temples ever so slightly, just to illustrate he's been in jail a long time. I saw that. Yeah, that's, that's nice. Thank you, HD. I, yeah, might be the most glorious shot in any movie mm. ever. Which one? Which specifically? The walkout from the plane, the smiling, closing his eyes, air whisking uh, through his hair. Oh, you mean the walkout from the bus to the plane? Oh, yeah, the bus, yeah. Sorry, yeah it's like, the smelling the sweet air of freedom. That's right, baby O. And yeah, just his kind of pleasantness and his connection to baby O at least sort of keeps us on board for all of this crazy shit. Because, like, if this was Do Grace Scott. This film would be fucking nothing because it would just collapse under the weight of like a, a, a lead actor who can't hold it up. Like I say, playing it straight was a good idea in this case. What kind of a Keystone Cops operation are you guys running here, huh? And you, you, you little shit, you got my agent killed. Hey, he brought a gun on the plane. If I knew the way you guys run things, I would have gone and bring a fucking Uzi on board. No one carries on these flights. No one. He brought a gun on board and he got himself killed. And in doing so, he compromised the safety of my men. Your men are incompetent. They let themselves get taken over by a bunch of thugs and chains and cages. I'm not going to stand around and listen to this shit. Guys, guys, let's work it out. What's the plan? You, uh, you, you do have a plan, don't you? We're working on it. <laughs> Contingency plans for something like this don't exist. The situation's never been contemplated. Well, you better start contemplating, because this is a situation that needs to get unfucked right now. Colm Meany's guy that he gets on this plane 
has got a wire or like a recorder, a recording <laughs> device on him. And it's this jo- it's, it's basically a, a Blu-ray steel book inside which is a reel-to-reel. I think Hendrix recorded Electric Ladyland on this thing. It is oh, absurdly old-fashioned. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm assuming at this point MP3 recorders just did not exist. A dictaphone would have been less immediately obviously clearly recording something with the most basic of visual language they may as well have parked a van inside the plane with flowers by ira emblazoned on the side and a guy in sunglasses pretending to shear a hedge beside it like like probably wouldn't have broken quite so easily just like have a small one of them strapped to him just to illustrate that it's it's just record i don't know Maybe it's because it was a long flight that he was... Oh, he was he was placed there so he could get information from Sindina, wasn't he? Yes. Why is he there? Question mark. Yeah. I don't it, know. A lot of question marks. Plan A on the part of the US Marshals and whoever's organising this, the penal system, is get them to Carson City and then get them to this major correctional facility. Drop Poe off somewhere? He's, he's hitching to get a ride off with the first group of with the first group. guys. Oh no, he's going all the way to the end. No, yeah. that's because he was supposed to be. Um, oh, now we're in Plan B and Plan C. Yeah, right. The reason for the marshal to be on the plane, mm. uh, or Colmini's guy to be on the plane, sorry, is that yeah they are trying to get hold of Sindino because they want information out of him about the Colombian drug lords that he's mm. dealing with, and if he gets to the far end, the FBI are picking him up, and Colmini wants the credit for getting the information out of him, yeah. not the FBI. Uh, and Sandino's plan is to go, what do, 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 I'm leaving, yes. when they get to Lerner Airfield as soon as he sees his guys. Malloy's DEA, isn't he? Or something. Yeah. Larkin's, it's drug-related, yeah. Larkin's US Marshals. Yeah. Either way, Sindino looks literally like you would imagine a South American uh, drug lord to look. Stereotype out the hat. (laughs) Yeah, they they just make, it's it's all shorthand the whole way through. There's also Danny Trejo as Johnny 23, or uh, Juanito Ventitres, a man who has raped 23 women and who claims to have raped 600 and he's just, he's really gleeful about it. And the moment that they're free, he's just all over Guard Bishop. So it becomes this, that the worry is that he's going to be able to get to her without Cyrus telling him, no, fuck off, leave her alone. Like, okay. that, that's chaos. That's not part of the plan. Of all of these, this villainous bunch, mm. he is the, the single one where I'm like, I can't have fun with this character. I don't know. I don't know if y'all felt the same way. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Anytime on screen, I'm like, no, I don't need a, I don't need to deal with this guy. Well, like, you, at first you're excited because you see Danny Trejo. You're yeah. like, oh yeah, I love Danny. Exactly. Trejo. I love Danny Trejo. And then you learn about his backstory. You're like, oh Danny, no. Uh, rape is a mood killer. It it's is. So, the, the, One way the, is it. The other, everyone else, they're mass murderers, and I'm yeah. like, you know, these guys are fun. The like, family I... annihilator is more fun. Billy Bedlam is more fun than Danny Trejo. That makes no sense. You're right. I think he should. Well, for a start, the other thing being, especially now post McDonald Trump saying they're bad hombres, they're, they're sending us their rapists. I hear them. This Johnny 600, he's coming say, into I the think country. This is where he got his information. Yeah, from. he watched the documentary Con Air. And, yeah, um, yeah it, it, it doesn't do any favours to that fucking horrendous um, stereotype. So, uh, yeah, that that is not only a waste of Danny Trejo, but actually, like, utilising uh, Danny Trejo's uh, Latino 
persona to perpetuate this horrendous yeah. stereotype. It also feeds into um, needing Cameron's personal stakes in this to be uh, to be something that's close and familiar to him in order to have him do anything positive about the situation. Mm. He has, like, back in the real world, his motivation is to uh, protect Casey and Trisha and make sure nothing bad happens to them. And here, his motivation is to protect Baby O and mm. Bishop and make sure that nothing bad happens to them. It might... You could consider it as maybe Johnny 23 is okay to not be fun and is, is okay to just be a viable yeah. threat. And the way Cameron eventually resolves it is just to smash his head against a cage over and over and over again, saying, you don't treat women like that. And it's oh, yeah. very I'm satisfying. Yeah, I'm not necessarily saying it was the wrong choice to no. have him be this despicable character, but he was like, yeah, I just felt bad like it, it, you did not give me a good feeling <laughs> yeah um it's 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 a very strong flavor and the fact yeah. that he's mexican makes it so much fucking worse yeah i do think the film is with you on that though and the 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 fact that his death is so ignoble and unlamented it's mm. it effectively happens off screen yeah it's it's a gruesome kind of, like he uh after poe smashed his head against a cage he uh um uh like ties him up with handcuffs above his head and just sort of leaves him suspended there. Then after the plane crashes, his body gets dragged away, leaving his arms still there, meaning it got wrenched off his torso. I remember yeah, thinking, did I did I see that happen? Or mm. is it just inferred in that it got ripped off in all the chaos? Yeah. And it's, it's I, I would like to, you know, it's possible that Cameron straight up killed him before he chained him up and, like, didn't know or didn't care. No, you see him moving when he's chained up. Okay, then. Then I hope that his last moments were absolutely terrified and agonised. <laughs> anyway, but, um, yeah, that's that's Johnny 23. I don't think we really need to mention him ever again now. Yep, he's, that, that's sort of the story he's done. Yep. Uh, at least Rachel Ticotin manages to maintain... Uh, she's not exactly given any uh, agency or power well, she's no, chained she's up a, as well the she's whole a morality time. symbol she's not there to have any agency she's a hostage none of the none of the women and children in this film are there to have any agency at all they yeah. are there to motivate the male characters mm. even the little girl that garland meets is there as a motivator for him to decide out of sheer morbid curiosity to see what life would be like if he followed the rules for a change yeah. you mean this movie didn't pass the bechdel test <laughs> this movie couldn't spell the Bechtel test. The woman who played the, the woman who played Linda in The Wedding Singer, who almost marries Adam Sandler but doesn't, is Vince Larkin's assistant, played by Angela Featherstone, and she did talk to Monica Potter, but probably about Cameron, and it was in the extended version. They, she doesn't she get any more, lines. Yeah, she has more to say in the uh, extended version, but mm. they removed almost all of her role in this. Not that there was much more than there is, but... There is actually no mother-daughter interaction in this movie at all. Like, between the little kid... Uh, I, I don't remember the actress's name for the girl, but... Uh, She's still you, acting, apparently. Mm. They don't seem like they have any connection whatsoever other than, hey, let's put a woman and a girl both with blonde hair together and oh that yep that's uh that's to, it to give you <laughs> like, an idea of how little mother daughter interaction there is when uh trisha is pregnant the only person to speak to the in utero casey is cameron oh yeah and i believe the what was the 
That was a, a cringeworthy line. You're going to be Miss Alabama? Well, that makes your daddy very proud. No, you do not want that for your child. <laughs> Landry Albright is the uh, uh, lady who played Casey Poe originally. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, there, there's there's various uh, plans that go wrong. Cyrus's plan, it would appear, is get away with Sindino and then wind up sitting on a beach earning 20%. There is a great deal of inconsistency in, in Cyrus's character in terms of motivation versus execution because mm-hmm. he's, he's set up throughout the whole thing to be this anti-chaos, uh, everything is rigidly controlled. He's planned this thing to within an inch of his life. Which is the opposite of the Joker. Which is, it is the opposite of the Joker, but it's also, the opposite to how the final third of the plan is supposed to play out. Past a certain point, everything is in Sandino's hands. Yeah, that's true. He's, Cyrus doesn't... If you can't trust a Colombian drug lord, who can you trust? Well, indeed. But, and that is obviously part of the point. But it seems unlikely to me that Cyrus would go to such great lengths to plan this. He, re- he even refers to it as the machine. He says to somebody, welcome to the machine when they get on the plane. Mm. He's got this... Organized, which is really why he stops well Johnny Twenty Three from raping. Bi- oh, sorry to go back to him, but he stops him uh, from getting his rape on because that's chaos, and yeah. he doesn't want chaos on He's, this plane. This, this is such a precarious sequence of events that if anything goes wrong, mm. it's all going to fall apart. But he doesn't seem to have had any contact with this Colombian drug lord himself. I think he would insist on doing so. I think that's also a key to why this movie's actually fun, though is that no one ever quite crosses that line that we see. You hear about all these things that they've done, mm. but never actually, like, because of Cyrus, it, no one ever quite crosses that line where you're like, oh, this is, this is getting into dirty territory. It's mm. still a dumb, fun action movie. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're right. It's- Absolutely. And that, that is in nowhere is that epitomised more than with Garland. We are told repeatedly about the terrible things that Garland's done. But because we never see him do anything terrible, it's OK that he gets to go off and live the life of a gambler at the end. Yeah. <laughs> He's a lovable rascal. Uh, <laughs> is he, though? <laughs> I thought that was the weirdest choice watching this at the end the other day. I was like, w- wait, he gets away? Yeah. He's so lovable. Well, a when he serial that, killer? When he yeah. wore that woman's head on his head. Was a child. I was just <laughs> about to say, yeah. And he says, he specifically said girl, which implies that it was a child. So it's like, he is a lovable rogue. He just has really weird taste in hats. Yeah. Now he's going to be a lovable rogue with lots of money so he can wear lots of hats. <laughs> I just love that scene where unprompted he decides to regale Poe with Oh, yeah, I took a girl's head, wore it as a hat, and drove through, what was it, like, three states, states or something, or something like remember? But it's just, the look on Poe's face is like you're on a regular plane flight. <laughs> you're stuck this oh, stewardess, could I please be moved? <laughs> like, his whole attitude towards this is weirdly really relatable, where you're just kind of, like, buckling yourself down and just trying to get through this really arduous plane flight. <laughs> it, it's about as nondescript as Buscemi and Reservoir Dog explaining why he doesn't like to tip. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Maybe my favorite line, too, is the, what, what's wrong with him? My first thought would be, a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I referred to him, Garland Green here, because he starts uh, talking about... Um, 
uh, insanity. Uh, he, he starts talking about the greats, uh, Dharma and Bundy. I'm like, oh, fucking hell. I hate any worship of serial killers, which is like, they're so fascinating. I am so bored by serial killers. <laughs> so, like, he starts off with that, yeah, they did it because it excited them. And then he says, my definition, you know, you, the definition of insanity, how about working... Uh, for 50 years and then getting laid off and then uh, having to spend the rest of your days in a nursing home, hoping to die before you yeah, can't get to the toilet on time or something along those lines. And he's, he's basically saying, to me, the society you live in is crazy. It's very kind of Alice in Wonderland. It would probably be better if he wasn't a mass murderer who killed 30 people, which Cameron immediately reminds us of uh, after that. But I refer to this because he's just kind of opining to to anyone who'll listen, who sounds like Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, that he is a Mountain Dew Hannibal Lecter. Like, they wrote the Lecter lines whilst sipping on a, a, a huge gulp of Mountain Dew, going, oh yeah, this is great. All of his lines felt like they were written by someone different. Like, it, it just... Didn't y'all get that impression? He, he it was just doesn't even yeah. feel like he's a part of the his, movie. His character the feels like a weird subplot that we never got to see mm. anything more of. Mm. You know, he he's like living out his own little agenda, like, but was it, was it kind of just said, there for the ride. Was he that said it was it was like a like a this little miniature Frankenstein story? Oh was... yeah, with the girl in the pool, the, mm -hmm. and you almost half wonder: is he just seeing this, or is this actually a real girl? Which yeah. I. Turns out to be a real girl later because she's waving goodbye to the criminals. But it reminded me immediately of Frankenstein and how there is that interaction where Frankenstein does come across a little girl. And there's this brief interaction where he's he's actually pleasant and friendly and she's the only one that interacted with him in a real way. So I thought that's a weird thing to include in this film. Is that actually what I'm picking up on? What are you, what are you trying I to looked, say here? <laughs> I looked it up and it did seem like that was actually a Frankenstein reference. Yeah, but, yeah and Frankenstein is a, a sympathetic, misunderstood figure. This well, guy Frankenstein's killed... monster. Yeah, Frankenstein's but, monster yeah, but... didn't wear a girl's head as a hat. I know. Even though it would balance better. Yeah, it's just you. You're kind of left with that. Okay, that's that's intriguing, but. Why? Why? <laughs> like, why? Why do I have this here? Why do they have to sing? He's got the whole world in his hands. Be another southern <laughs> nod. Uh, See, I was that. wondering whether that, like, at the end, I, when I was younger, I thought, well, like, the girl sings. He he's got the whole world in his hands, and that's his moment of because I'd seen Gross Point Blank around the same time, Shokabuku, when he realizes maybe I shouldn't kill little girls because I've got the yeah. whole world in my hands and I have all this power, but maybe I should just use it to play craps instead. And then goes to Vegas, and effectively, him gambling at the end is him joining capitalism and doing what you're supposed to do, which is to go to Vegas and gamble your money. I found it very ironic that all these criminals landed in a place where everyone kind of understands that shady, underhanded things happen there anyway. Mm. So like, they end up in a spot where they would be probably more accepted, I suppose. It's just... <laughs> Round a corner and meet uh, Robert De Niro from Casino. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, it smells like so much shit in your mouth. Told me you loved me. <laughs> Just go back a little bit, because the thing that powers Pat Cameron through this whole thing is that uh, they, they three nondescript white guys, including that Nazi, get killed in a way that complicates plan A and Poe's told, you can just get off the plane here and then and, and that's fine. 
And then he decides, because Baby O's running out of insulin, and again, we've got to mention him, Johnny 23 sniffing around Guard Bishop, um, that Poe decides to stay on board. Again, it's not to foil this plot, it's to keep these people alive. And he's got a little bit of a, a Peter Parker thing going on. But again, he's thinking small scale. Also, his, his plan at this point is foiled. His intention was to get off the plane and then immediately raise mm. the alarm. But because they're going to gag everybody yeah. to stop exactly that from happening, he realises it's pointless him doing it. Baby O needs insulin, otherwise he's going to go into anaphylactic shock. And... Uh, not anaphylactic, but it, he would go into a diabetic coma if yeah. he had, doesn't get it. Um, so, again, Michael T. Williams gives this performance enough gravity that you can actually buy it the whole way through as, uh, as, mm. a, as a uh, motivator for Cameron. Half the movie is seems like he's on the brink of death and something ends up happening and he gets shot. He, get, he he's, it's just It seems like it's a lost cause, but he's still just... Hangs in there. Yeah, yeah well, that's his job to hang in there. Yeah. His stamina is amazing. But yeah, on the uh, at the Carson City uh, changeover when they're handing over a bunch of, uh, in this case, a lot of guards with gags on. Uh, Cyrus, at pretending to be a guard, says to another guard, "Had to gag him and bag him, rough crew, <laughs> spitters and shitters." And I'm like, I get that if they were spitting at you. <laughs> You'd tape up their mouths and put sacks over their heads. But how are you going to stop them shitting themselves? Hey, that's what the bag's for. <laughs> <laughs> like, you had to cork them and bork them. I, I just, I wonder how much control you can exert on someone who is deliberately pooping themselves on a plane. Oh <laughs> Real masterminds on this plane. Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah. um, this is immediately followed by a point where Larkin's like looking around his cell. He looks underneath the poster of um, uh, Raquel Welch, and he finds this box that says "Do not touch." Cyrus's cell. Cyrus's This is cell. where they find all the the blueprints and carefully, meticulously planned. Like here is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And there's a box that says "Do not open." And then they they decode the thing with this Da Vinci Code fucking. I, I can imagine Dan Brown sitting and reading that and Nothing. watching this film and going, "Ah, I'll do that." Nothing more worthy of an eye roll than seeing that get pulled out of the wall. And I'm just like, oh my God. He found two Last Supper pictures and somehow made them into a message. Like, I, oh my God. He's (laughs) very clever. Ridiculous developments like this only enhance a movie like this. Oh, yeah. Though. Yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy and off kilter. And the, the more crazy it is, the more you're just like, yeah, that's fine. You buy all the hand waves because there's nothing to anchor it to reality. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, exactly. like, I'm going to go and make a phone call. Don't touch anything. And this cop that he's with sits on the bed and goes, hmm, he probably didn't mean this box that says do not open. I'm going to open it anyway. I actually really enjoyed that explosion, though. Like you can see the guy get wedged up against the wall just before everything yes. is. Explosions taken are good here. Plane. It's a it's a good explosion movie. I may have been imagining it, but I it almost felt like you could see his face going, "Oh shit, I shouldn't have yep, done yep. that before oh, we go oh. oh, that's why it said, "Do not open." Come on. <laughs> the other guy, the other guy that's with him, is like, "Oh hey, he says not to open that." And he goes. Nah. He just like he just shrugs. And I'm then telling you, we're supposed to guard the bee. Oh, we did bad. <laughs> Do you think you're Alice or, in Wonderland? So yeah, like Cameron Poe's just like, all right, you're gonna land this plane 
right the fuck here. And Dempsey Gates like, whatever you want, Big Daddy. Which is just kind of a great line no matter what. Ed calling people Big Daddy is so awesome. (laughs) Let me tell you, you got to be a confident guy to call someone else Big Daddy, man. (laughs) Oh, you have to be of a certain stature for sure. Absolutely. You do not wish, like, if if you're not that kind of guy, you don't know where that's going. You don't don't try. Don't do buddy. You know, it's it's not a buddy. It's it's Big Daddy. (laughs) Let me get a... Pack of Marbreads and a, a magazine there, Big Daddy. <laughs> Forty bucks. Uh, so we we go into Vegas, basically. Yes, sir, Big Daddy. I'm marrying your little girl. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go right to the Vegas Chapel right now. <laughs> Why don't you make that steak uh, medium rare, there, Big Daddy? <laughs> No, fill her up with regular there, Big Daddy. Oh, come on, Big Daddy. This performance review isn't going anywhere I want it to go. Can you put the butter halfway through the popcorn, Big Daddy, and then put more on top? Concession popcorn. I think that's a perfect way to use Big Daddy. Absolutely. You can get away with it there. Just do it, do it kind of quick, too. And or, like, they might not even notice it. Starbucks, a Starbucks bathroom? Are you done in there, Big Daddy, or what? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you hold up the whole line. Oh, here's a here's a thing to do is uh-huh. tell the Starbucks server that your name is Big Daddy. <laughs> just like, you got it. Yeah, just put Big Daddy on there. Man, they hate gag names at Starbucks. It's not a gag name. I am Big Daddy. Ask anyone here. Uh, I have a frosted frappuccino for. Big Daddy? <laughs> no, because you can't do that. That's how you get arrested for like sexual harassment. You know what, what I mean? Like yeah. that's what it's like. Okay. You're telling people to call you Big Daddy. Yeah. I guess so. All right. It's not a so, sex so worker. Tell, yeah, them you're to, tr- tell them your name is McGruber when you order the large <laughs> Tazo tea. But then you, when you use it, that, thanks for the, thanks for it, Big Daddy. I think call it just casually calling people Big Daddy is just all right. That works. You're right. You know what? It's not. It's, it's a good point. It's not in print. They can't prosecute you. <laughs> That was from the fantastic episode of We Hate Movies, also on Conair. Oh, oh, two other characters uh, include MC Gamia's Swamp Thing, who's this really... Jo- like, he's the nicest of all the prisoners. I don't know if he killed anyone. Like, he's just really good at flying planes well, and driving say, fire trucks. It, it does feel like canvassing amongst the prison population for somebody who's capable of flying and landing a plane this big, mm. they'd have had a very small pool of people to draw from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's Sally Can't Dance, who... There was actual bits of Sally's dialogue that were taken directly out of the UK release. <laughs> it is a female identifying... Yeah? Yes. Is, it, yes. is it trans? Would that be the correct term for it? I honestly am not going to... Because put it like this. They don't know. So I yeah. can't apply any labels here either. But, okay. Their, well, their fundamental approach seems to be this is a uh, a gay prisoner who likes wearing dresses. That's probably about as far as it goes. Um, but there's a there's a line that was in the original film, which is, oh, men in uniform. And I can't remember if it's uh, the end in Vegas or when the uh, army turns up at the Lerner Airfield. But I suspect it's uh, the uh, end in Vegas. And I mm. think they may have removed it for sensitivity reasons, simply because uh, getting uh, gay people into the military was and remains a hot button issue and you don't want to give the troops more uh kind of irrational fears of that's what they're going to be after they're going to be going oh he looks tasty in his uniform and then then what are you going to do when you're on the battlefield uh so yeah i I can see why they took that line out the film's not better with it in 
all better with mm. it out. But I suppose if it if it helps people keep people less irrational. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but the, the very minimal use that Sally gets as a character anyway puts her firmly in that category of these characters are here in order to provide um, illustrations for what ethics and morals the male characters have. She's a joke yeah. character. Yeah. Uh, specifically uh, delineated at the end when uh, Cameron proves that there is a god by fighting his way through three people uh, at, the, uh, in, at the front of the plane to, uh, to get to the pilot's seat and... Gets to Sally and just slaps her, and that's a comedy I just beat. Love that hesitation where he's about to punch and then changes his mind and slaps instead. I was like, yeah, there is a it's some, it, conscious de- decision to have that scene. It's <laughs> oh another my. thing, Alex. You were saying that you feel dirty laughing about, mm. where it's which is a lot about this movie. You have all the Dave Chappelle stuff, and then this moment. It's it's oddly perfect, but it's also kind of offensive. It almost feels like it's a a retort or an underlining of his we don't treat women like that. This is how we treat women. We slap them instead. Southern. (laughs) Southern. We don't punch them and we slap them. (laughs) It's funny to me because Sally obviously is like a joke character for the movie, but the prisoners kind of treat him, her, the way it appears she, he wants to be treated it's it's kind of odd because they they respect. Let's go with she rather than she he on this show. I know, I know. Well, I was we we seem to be in an ambiguous spot with it. So they called her she in the movie. Yeah, so they, go with she. So I thought that was interesting that they kind of gave her more respect than I would have expected somebody, especially villainous people, to do to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this uh, the the writing in this is uh, broad and occasionally sloppy. It kind of holds itself together for for a lot of it, but again that the. the I would hope things would be done differently now, but again, I've seen more Gerard Butler films recently where I'm like, no, they still make <laughs> films like this. Um, <laughs> but no, nowhere near as good as Con Air. Did they ever go into what she did wrong? Like, what, what was her crime? Because I, I must have completely missed that. No, no, no. It's, it's, she's, she's such a tiny character. They hard, she's hardly in it at all. And they well, she's called it. Sally Can't Dance. One assumes she snuck into dance contests, but couldn't dance. <laughs> And it's like that's fraud. And so got found out. That's really fraud, quickly. little Missy. Off you go. On the jail. So, but in, and yet during the Sweet Home Alabama bit, she can dance. Swing yeah. low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Oh no! What the hell you think you're doing? It's time to off the pigs. Can't do that. Tell me why. They're hostages. We need them. But why the fuck you care? Hey, man. Come on. I can't think of a thing. I'd like better than to put a bullet in the brain base of one of these fuckers. But the fact of the matter is, how well you know this Sendino? I mean, I don't know him that well myself. Just what I read. Like how he firebombed that senator's yacht with two of his own cousins on board. So what's your point? Why would he sweat about killing some hired guns once they'd served his purpose? Now think about that. What exactly are we discussing here? Oh, don't want me to off the pigs. Well, it's not difficult to surmise how Nathan here feels about killing guards, and my own proclivities are uh, well-known and uh, often lamented facts of penal lore. What I'm wondering is why you have any opinion about it at all. Cyrus, this is your barbecue, man, and it tastes good. But I was just saying to Mr. 
dog over here that if it was my barbecue, I'd wait for that old jumbo jet in the sky before I start killing the only leverage. Shut the fuck up! Don't you want to get high and get laid? Oh, shit! Oh, fuck this! Put the gun down. Put the gun down, Nathan. Poe's right. We're going to plan B. Gonna get a refueling truck and a tractor. So get back there and dig the plane out. Larkin talks to uh, Cyrus, fends, fending off Malloy. I like the fact that Malloy decides to go, fuck it, I, I'm going to go and blow this plane up. And Cyrus has already thought of that. Sticks the black box on uh, Ma and Pa fucking kettle flight. This Apache helicopter goes chasing after the wrong plane and doesn't get back to the right plane until really near the end. Because that means that the response to Con Air is, let's shoot this thing out of the fucking sky, and the only person saying don't is Vince Larkin, who is crazy. And at the same time, I could, I could see why he'd be like, we've got an ally on the inside, but to counterpoint that, who cares? Blow this thing out of the sky. But this is the thing, as I was saying to you, they, he says they've got an ally, that's fine. What plan what are you, you going think... to pass to this ally? What are you going to get him to do? Exactly? Even Cameron is not planning to take this shit <laughs> no. down. Cameron's like, there's 23 of them and one of me. <laughs> They got guns. (laughs) Well, it seems like Larkin's motivation is less about the ally and more about it being his plane. I feel like half his lines are, that's my plane. That's my plane. That is true. That's my plane. And he's he's positioned as this sort of like uh, uh, a liberal who wears sandals and knows things out of books and stuff, which really infuriates Colm, uh, Colm Meany. I keep wanting to say Colm Fjord. Colm Fjord's far more boring than Colm Meany. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, Larkin's like, fuck it, I'm going to take your goddamn Corvette, and does so sneakily behind his back. You're Cameron Poe. That's right. I'm Larkin. Hello, Larkin. I got your message. Where are the troops? They'll be here. They'll be here. Uh-huh. In a minute. Listen, Poe, can I lower this? Go ahead. You're going to lower yours? Sorry, boss, but there's only two men I trust. One of them's me, the other's not you. So Sedino was running a drag on everyone? Yeah. If you can't trust a South American drug lord, who can you trust, huh? That was a joke. I'm glad you told me. Now i got to get back to the plane. You're a free man, Poe. What are you doing? I can't trade a friend's life for my own lock and that's all. You got a friend on board. See, I knew I was right about you. I read your file. You're not such a bad guy, just always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Goodbye, Larkin. I spoke to your wife. In person? In person. And your little girl. You saw Casey. Uh Uh-huh. If this thing goes bad, Larkin, I'm afraid my daughter won't understand. If you talk to my wife again, you tell her I love her. She's my hummingbird. But... Couldn't leave a fallen man behind. He'll do that for me, won't you, Larkin? Sure I will. What are you gonna do for me? What do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save the fucking day. 
one thing that I noticed about Larkin that had never really hit me before. He spends this entire film stealing other people's vehicles. He nicks Malloy's car. He steals a helicopter. He's just... He, he goes to end, take a truck that I'm willing to bet isn't his. And at the end in Vegas, he and, <laughs> and Cameron are standing beside two police bikes. And, and Larkin's like, is this police bike mine? No. <laughs> Press triangle and it becomes mine. <laughs> Uh, it was, oh, uh, the uh, 1967 Chevrolet Corvette convertible. Beautiful car. And I love that it ends up kind of suspended behind the plane for the duration of a joke and then falls to earth. Yes. On any other day, that might seem strange. <laughs> that was a great joke. Around about this point, before they get to Lerner Airfield, um, uh, Billy Bedlam, has, who's been sniffing around Cameron's... Um, identity and he's like I don't remember you from D block <laughs> like, by the way next time you watch it look at Nick Chinlin's teeth they are piss yellow most oh, of the so time yellow. except like one scene where he's grinning away with lovely pearly white teeth <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good way of making Billy Bedlam seem very unsavory. You get Billy Bedlam goes sneaking around in Cameron Crowe's box and uh, uh, finds the uh, Casey Poe. Let, let, Sharon just reacted that. Just, it's an actual box. I know, I know. It's got a bunny in it. And the <laughs> put the bunny back in the box line is kind of immortal. The fact that it's ridiculous <laughs> is one. And the fact that he says it three times, it's like one is the warning, two is the last chance. And then after he's skewered him on a pipe after like by the way the actual fight that they have is short but it's really well coordinated and the fact that it's in a very short crawl space means that it's like it's an unusual fight and that was my takeaway i was like only this movie would decide to have this like crawl space yeah. fight where they have to hang from the the pipes above to kick each other <laughs> Just like appears the united states parole commission that Put the bunny back in the box. I knew you was a punk, and I was right. You been playing us all along. You a free man. I said, put the bunny back in the box. And the other thing about uh, Larkin, by the way, like after after Billy's dead and Poe has written his uh, uh, letter, um, like it's he's corresponding with Larkin at this point. <laughs> Larkin almost seems like a Cameron Poe fanboy chasing his senpai, because mm. I feel like Larkin wants to prove that some prisoners are decent, and it's yeah. like Vince. 
there's easier ways than letting the Marietta Mangler go free. Just interview people. If that's your, like, you're writing a thesis at this point. Also, it feels a bit like his theory is that some prisoners are decent. He decided to try and prove it by putting 50 of them on a plane and seeing what happened. So he's the crazed mastermind of this terrible plan. This George's Marvelous Medicine. There is a darker side to this, a reality side, and that is the justice prisoner and alien transportation system, which is what this is based on. Nicknamed Con Air or Ice Air is an agency of the federal government of the United States charged with the transportation of persons in legal custody among prisons, detention centers, courthouses, and other locations. Um, But it also is uh, for uh, undocumented people. So you want to talk about throwing everyone into the same boat. You've got this undocumented worker, and then you put him beside the real-world equivalent of Cyrus the damn virus and go, well, they're all the same, stick them on a plane. Doesn't matter if it blows up. Yeah, also, though, just look what it says there. Smaller jets and turboprops are also used to transport individual prisoners who are considered particularly dangerous or notorious. There is no way all of these men would be on this one flight. They get solo private Do you want to get into a Cessna? with the Marietta Mangler in the back seat and just hope for the best. <laughs> okay, Marietta Mangler, uh, shall I just call you Marietta? Garland? I mean... There's a basket of biscuits under the seat. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> what? I'm just going to take that off your head. I'm just going to talk to you for ages about how crazy society is. Oh, okay, cool. That'll make the ride entertaining. And we're going to be taking off anytime soon. If you look out of your window, you'll see some people who look worried for me. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's based on a real thing, and at this to this date, a Conair scenario has not yet occurred. And if it has, we've not heard about it. It's something that you you could tell the people behind this movie, Simon West, Jerry Bruckheimer, whoever. They did their research. They're like, they found out that this was a real thing, but did not care to make any commentary about it. They were just like, this would make. A cool fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> the extent of the research was this is a real yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, when you say they did their research, I'm sure they were told about it in a bar. <laughs> yeah. I think actually they, finding out that it was a real thing is the extent of their research into the US You're, Rangers, <laughs> Alabama, the justice system, <laughs> Dostoevsky. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly Nicolas Cage. And what happens to Corvettes when you drop them from 300 feet? Dude, you'd be great for that Con, uh, con Air idea. Another uh, Fast and Furious connection, they drop planes from a car. Or cars from a plane. <laughs> planes from a car, huh? Hey, I want that one. Flying cars that drop planes. <laughs> If th- that's that's for Fast and Furious 10. Like, you know, drop the plane. We're going to be doing a Khan Air raid. going to happen. Nicolas Cage could totally be in one of those movies, though, couldn't he? Like, if, if you wanted to bring back Cameron Poe and have him, like, this be in-universe also oh, for Fast and, and Furious, that would make sense. Universe. The theater would go insane if that <laughs> oh, was the post-credits sure. of a Fast and Furious movie, bringing oh, in God. Nicolas Cage. Hey there, Dom. Yeah, like, you wouldn't even have to say his name. It'd be like, what, Cameron Poe? But, like, if he turns up with the mullet, and it's an old, like, old grey mullet, and he's like, I heard you wanted someone who's real good with 
planes. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> Put totally. the frost necklace back in the box. <laughs> I hear you also care about your family. <laughs> There's something here, guys. I think we can I think we can make this happen. Let's do like very, very moderate research and then ship it. Moderate? <laughs> That's so much more than this we one. Just have to prove that it's a real thing. <laughs> you pointed out that when they get to Lerner Airfield and uh, um, Diamond Dog's uh, about to kill the uh, cops they've got there, Poe gets into kind of a, uh, an altercation with him to save these guys' lives. Again, he sticks his head out because it's, if I do nothing, they'll just die. And I, I kind of like the fact that we have this moral character who does... Like, he's not following rules when he's doing this. Yeah. He's deliberately going out of his way to keep people alive. He's following his code. Yeah. yeah Man's exactly. got to have a code. Um, but yeah, then that... The, he, he then talks to uh, Cyrus about Sindina while Cyrus walks about on top of the plane. Uh, if at any point Cyrus was going to talk about we live in a... We live in a society. And let me tell you about the world. It would have been here. But it feels like it would have stopped the movie dead as, uh, as like, uh, Nick Cage stood in the burning hot sun on these, uh, like, Utah salt flats, listening to Cyrus yak on and on about the world that created him. But uh, it's then kind of like, are we going to trust this Colombian drug lord? No, good idea. Let's take hostages and make demands. And you pointed out the only thing they have going for them is that people don't know where they are. Yeah, they don't know where they are and they don't know where they're planning to go next. If they start contacting them to say, we're here, we have hostages, send us a plane and enough fuel to get us, I don't know, 2,000 miles, okay, then they, we immediately know where you yeah. are and that you're planning to go somewhere within a 2,000-mile radius. Yeah. I mean, it it kind of makes it a mini version of The Rock, where it's like, uh, General Cyrus the damn virus is a man of honour. No, he isn't. He's going to kill <laughs> these guys immediately. So, uh, yeah, they'd, they'd probably just do exactly what... I mean, Cole Meany is so desperate to blow shit up in this film. It's noteworthy that during this big action sequence, Sindino betrays them and then they blow up the plane. It's like, sigh! And then he throws a cigarette onto the leaking jet fuel and goes, Anara. Looks like you missed your connection. We were, we were coming to get you. Please. Sigh. Anara. But as they're walking away, there's a thing that happens in movies where your cool guy walks away from an explosion and just doesn't look behind himself or even react as the thing explodes. And then there's the other thing where, like, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson run away from the explosion and go, and jump as it explodes. This, they kind of have their cake and eat it. Like, 14 cons walk away from a big explosion, and about half of them go, Whoa, shit, that was a big explosion! While some of the rest of them are still, like, walking like it ain't no thing. So they have both. <laughs> Benefit of having a great cast. Yeah. Big cast. <laughs> yeah, the, the cast, I mean, the cast on this actually does justify its crazy Sweet Home Alabama montage at the end. And actually, I, I, I theorized that... Um, like these, this and Predator, and there's a couple of other movies that do it. Um, is the equivalent of if you've ever gone to see a play that's particularly grand or a big, like Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. At the end of the the three hours, everyone's just kind of wants to release. So the audience start clapping. The actors all come out, 
And like you get the, the, the tertiary characters all come out first, then you get the support characters one by one who get like increasingly like more enthusiastic rounds of applause. And at the very end you get Raul, then Christine, and then the Phantom, and fucking everyone's like, Yeah, Phantom at the end. Oh, so yeah. that's why Nick Cage is at the end of this one. Yeah. And then the actors all join hands and bow to the audience because effectively you are feeding them. Because theatre-trained actors need that applause. They need that sense that they've actually spoken to an audience and that it's been received well. But who's clapping at the end of this while no one can... Because, like, MC Gaining! Wasn't he great as Swamp Thing? Ah, yeah, that is the action-packed Con Air right there. And then we get what Steve described as a victory lap. Oh, Oh, the the victory lap, yeah. New new term coined. Sweet home Alabama starts. Of course. It's every and it's like Cole Meany is agent whatever the fuck. And we go through the whole and I mean the whole cast. Every last one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's just like it's bad sitcom looking font too. Yeah, and everyone just like a lot of people are looking at the camera and laughing. And I'm like, what? did i just watch that guy's a serial killer he's out there it's a movie that they had fun making that'd be great if, if um at the end of silence of the lambs they did this victory lap and it's like sweet home alabama <laughs> ted levine and like <laughs> anthony held and everyone's just smiling cranky face <laughs> yeah because i'm having a friend for dinner so no, no goodbye horses for that victory uh, no. lap <laughs> it's, uh, no you can only do a victory lap to sweet home alabama Oh, okay. <laughs> I could have done so much more. I could have this watch. This watch. It even goes over when they are visiting. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Turn it up. Well, no, that was, there was the two options that Spielberg had was the really poignant and incredibly moving scene where all the Holocaust survivors go back to the grave. Or the victory lap to Sweet Home Alabama. I say split the difference. I say split the difference. Welcome back to the Titanic. We've been waiting for you. (laughs) Just from a how I'm feeling about this movie at this point in the end, I think it saved its best explosions, its best action, its best just character moments, best lines. Maybe not the best lines. There's great it's lines sprinkled throughout, throughout all of this <laughs> but for the 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 final 15 minutes of this film like it's just pedal to the metal all the way out and <laughs> i love it it's just great movie to watch on the weekend of fourth of july uh, the fourth wow, of, of july yeah. yeah yeah it's very summery oh I, I will say one thing about cyrus's demise it's quite spectacular what actually happens to him. Like the, the sequence of events. They chase this runaway fire truck through the street on police bikes, Cameron and, and Larkin, now united, like practically high-fiving as they're driving along. Um, Cameron gets into like a... a he all those chin ups pay off, and he's like hanging, from, <laughs> hanging from his arms from this fire thing. That's and what the, we call foreshadowing. It's like Cyrus <laughs> is trying to poke him with a wooden pole, and then like th- so many horrible things happen to Cyrus in thirty-seven yep. seconds. Uh, for yep. a start, like the time compression in this film is out the out the window crazy. Remember, like when they finally catch up with the plane, and uh, Malloy's like, "I'm going to shoot this plane with." Like it's like use the hydro rockets and the hellfire missiles you have in this Apache. He's like, no, no, no. Let's use some tracer rounds and just sort of fire at it. Larkin gets in the way and it kind of no, don't shoot. There's 
at, like three innocent people on this nightmare plane. But they're over the Grand Canyon at this point, or, or just a canyon. It's Nevada. Um, they're over a canyon, and it's like, if this thing goes down, it's hurting no one. Mm-hmm. And then I actually I, I went back and checked because I was like, hang on a second, when the fuck did we get here? It takes 17 seconds between the afternoon in that canyon and then nightfall in Las Vegas. It takes 17 seconds of like Guard Bishop dealing with Johnny 23. Sorry to mention him again. And then like we cut back and there's like sundown and now we're in Vegas and now we're near the strip. They run that plane through and at no point did Malloy just go, fuck it, I'm just firing off all these missiles. So like there's time compression there. But then when Cyrus actually gets killed, it happens like this. Poe snaps that wooden pole, then shoves the broken end through his leg, pinning him to the ladder, which then goes up to verticality, which then they go through a massive overhanging bridge, and Cyrus is like, no! Like, was there glass in this bridge? So he goes through a window, through the bridge, through another window, Falls through the air. Like, just going through one window would kill a man, but that's not enough for Cyrus. Falls through the air onto some electrical power lines. <laughs> it's like fucking Wiley Coyote at this point. And then falls onto what I can only really describe as the head crushing machine. Like, yes. he falls onto a conveyor belt that dumps him. Like, it goes, oh, you're going to need to be here to have your head directly under the head crusher. And then the head crusher crushes his head. And it's like. This is like a mousetrap or a breakfast machine, and all it does is crush your head. It does almost feel like the the point of this is we give people prison because we want to see them punished for the terrible things they did. Cyrus did so much, but he needs all he of needs this. Six death sentences. <laughs> he gets it worse than Phil Connors in Groundhog Day on multiple days. <laughs> so great. This whole portion of this movie, I feel like the whole time, I, all the characters were at this the right level where I was like, okay, this movie is giving me everything I want from just these quotable lines. But up until the end, I thought the action just, I hadn't quite seen it yet. I was, I was kind of waiting for the other foot to drop in the action department. It's, it kept like, you know, teasing it. There, there are certain action beats here and there, cool, you know, moments of fisticuffs. Uh, We're going to have some fisticuffs there, boy. <laughs> yeah, but but at the end here, it does achieve this, like, zen-like chaos almost, <laughs> where it just keeps topping itself. And that is what really makes a great 90s action movie they for me. cashed in all their chips at the end. <laughs> well, like, nice. it's, it's when, when everything is firing on all cylinders, it, 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 it just it knows that, okay, this is ridiculous, but we're going to do something even more ridiculous and just keep topping it and keep topping it and keep topping it. And, man, it it, it was like a symphony of destruction for me. Mm. <laughs> just perfect Ending in a rain of dollar bills. We're literally going to drive the plane through the strip. I know we already mentioned it. It's just so insane. And uh, it, it ends up, like, nudging a slot machine, which goes, oh, um, this cliche, 777, and start spitting out coins. They just put everything into the back end of this And we see movie. Chevy Chase over there with his family. Oh, God. <laughs> nice. I, honestly, I would be... Like, this should be in a Jump Street movie. Jenko, like, throws a dude into a, a slot machine, and it doesn't start spewing coins. And he's like, 
you need to bash his head against it like repeatedly and eventually it starts happening I don't know just like it's that kind of subversion like, like if, if someone's head hit a slot machine or a jukebox and it didn't immediately start playing it would feel yeah. weird wrong yeah, yeah. exactly uh, speaking of music Mark Mancina and Trevor Rabin's score again like I said very bad boys very Armageddon kind of caught between it the main theme that plays repeatedly the whenever Cameron's doing something heroic is like it, it really just sells those extra actions he's like when he's running away from fire his hair flapping in the wind like Nick Cage's hair never does <laughs> and then like like jumps through the air it's like it's just the the we hate movies call it fart rock but like <laughs> Cyrus has his own tune as well it's like bam 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 Does, does Vince have a tune? It's such a strange amalgam of score choices here. Mm. Like, the, I feel like for the villains, it would you'd get this weird Nine Inch Nails almost electronic beat, uh, where I'm like half expecting Trent Reznor to just. Oh, like, I know the one. That's actually used. They don't use it until the Marietta Mangler comes out. It was in the teaser, but every time like Garland turns up, it's like, yeah. it's just that that. And for the stuff with his family, family, you'd have this almost melodramatic elevator music. Mm. Like it's just like. <laughs> or also, yeah, whenever yeah, you know, that Bing, 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 the the guitar again. These guys are contemporaries of Hans Zimmer, and so they've they've listened to him play his Spanish guitar in scores, and they're like, "That's really good." Writes notes down. I'll do that too. But um, whenever Cameron is in proximity of um, Trisha Poe how do I live without you will start playing uh, you know just spontaneously it's their song so um, I just wanted whether it's diegetic or non-diegetic she the carries end. a little jukebox around on her wrist jukebox so. it's that giant reel to reel thing yeah. that's what was on it <laughs> it's like, oh, oh my husband's here how do I live without this a here podcast in mom and pop organization is kept afloat by y'all on the Patreon we surely thank you and we always reel off the names of our hummingbirds in the top tier. So I want to send love and kisses and them little pink cakes out to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Selgero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole. This is like a biscuit away from Hank Hill. Like, I want to talk about propane with you. Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson has black teeth and calls me names. Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Now there's 41 people that I trust. 
Let's kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. Ah, oh, dang it, that's Independence Day. But that bunny better be back in the box by the time I get back in here. Or I will text somebody with you in the most violent way possible. By the way, you, you guys are young. You could not get away from that song in the summer of 97. I don't know, like, uh, how old you would have been then. Well, don't say we'll feel way older, but, like, that song was everywhere. The Leanne Rhymes one. I yeah. was Although a... the Trusha Yearwood version is the one that's actually in the film. Bingo, yeah. I know the song. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're familiar, but... You kids, get off my lawn! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Swamp Thing at this point. Um... <laughs> I used to watch the Country Music Channel. They played it a lot. And yeah, and then they, they pay off the bunny and, and this poor little kid, like, like she's justifiably freaked out by the sight of this guy who has just killed like eight people. And she's Covered like, in mud and dirt and Yeah, dry. he's like, have this bunny. It's got a little bit of Billy Bedlam's fluids on it. Let me just like wipe it off on my shirt there. Storm drain. Yeah. It's, it's and the mom's like, take the bunny. Take it. <laughs> like, I don't she it. didn't look happy to be there either. Yeah. Like, why bring this bunny? <laughs> also, what did you do with your hair? I liked it short. Okay, so uh, anything else in, in Con Air? What did we learn from the movie Con Air about uh, morality, ethics, having a code, uh, following the rules? Uh, we learned that all of those things get thrown out of the window if you're on a plane with 50 criminals. It's weird. Like, honestly, the, talking about following all the rules and doing the right thing, he, it does feel a bit like a, re, a an action remake of Forrest Gump. You've it got does. like yeah. you've got Bubba there that he's desperately trying to save the whole time, and uh, kind of like not so much doing what he's told the way Forrest does, but this time following his heart. Yeah. If you have a an ethical code, not even eth an ethical code. If you have a code of conduct that pushes you forwards and you follow the rules, broadly speaking, you will come out of life okay. That seems to be the fundamental message mm. of yeah. the film. Yeah. All I can think about is like, there ain't no God, but he don't exist. Hey, where you going? I'm gonna show you God does exist. Uh, before we go, as we uh, uh, pull into land and the seatbelt sign is turned off, would our guests like to tell our dear listeners where they can find all your best stuff? Yeah, uh, we do a podcast called Franchise Killer. Uh, we talk about movie franchises, particularly ones that are kind of on the rocks or ones that have ended. Uh, so you can find us on Did all... Did you say of the rock? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah you, no, I, I understand that. Um, but yeah, you can find us on all... Uh, stream plat platforms i'm not going to belabor it too much we were long-winded on our last one so uh right now i guess we're doing um stephen king movies so we're having a lot of fun with that oh, so you can check that out your yeah. silver bullet show was awesome oh Aww. thank you Apparently you got your mom on for that one yes we did she yeah. was, she's a great influencer for us <laughs> yeah no so great really really loved how you took it apart there that was really fantastic nice thank you Okay, well, next week we conclude the Rage Cage season. 
Uh, I was going to say we could do like gone in 60 seconds, but he's not entertaining in that one. He's he's just kind of like there and chilled. Like like I said, the him as uh, Cameron Poe, he is entertaining and restrained. It's it's rare that you can get both out of Nick Cage. <laughs> it's, it's a balance that he doesn't hit very often. It is so hard to dissect this performance. I know we already went into it, but it's mm. like it is subdued. He is playing it straight. But he's also still – it's still very Cage. Yeah. And Cage someone I only in, associate with intense. <laughs> it's very rolling around in haystacks. Where's my daughter's picture, you shit-eating peck ahead? It's, it's kind of <laughs> – next week uh, we get to his uh, – the fi- he, he reaches – he attains his final form. He evolves. Nick Cage is evolving into crazy Nick Cage. He, it's the dual role that he plays in dual golden pistol wielding slow motion sideways jumping science fantasy face off. Until oh, then, yeah. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out, out baby <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is... This was an episode. <laughs> Thank you.